0: Isn't it great to see all the people who made that public declaration that Jesus is the Lord of their life? I want to invite you to stand to your feet. We're starting a new series called You Asked For It, and it's an opportunity for us to answer some questions that people have had in their heart. And as I was kind of praying and thinking about this new series, realized and thought of this old song. Some of you may know it if you know it. It goes like this. Jesus
1: is the answer, for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today and there's no other. Jesus is the way. Why don't you sing it with me, everybody, if you know it? Jesus, Jesus is the answer. him the the there's no had some questions in the corner of your mind, traces of discouragement, peace you cannot find, reflections of your past seem to face you every day, oh, but there's one thing I want you to know, that Jesus is away. I love it. If you think you've got a mountain, it's too big for you to climb. I know your skies are dark and you think the sun can't shine. But in case you didn't know, God's word is so true, and everything that He promises you, He will. Come on, Jesus is the answer. Come on, let your voice, it's so simple. Bob, in there's no other. Jesus is the way, Jesus is the answer. close your eyes as we pray today
0: Holy Spirit we acknowledge that you are here we know that truth comes from Christ Christ you said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but through you so we acknowledge truth that Jesus you are the answer, you are the truth you are the hope of the world anoint every word spoken open our hearts to receive and hear all that you want to say say this with me in your own prayer just say Jesus speak to me Somebody say amen. 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 You may be seated today. I love that old song. Anybody love that old song? Andre Crouch. We're starting a brand new series called You Asked For It. During the last three weeks, we had a thing called Church at the Movies. Anybody have fun at Church at the Movies the last three weeks? Wasn't that great? Here's Here's what was exciting. We had hundreds of visitors, but what was really exciting is that we had Almost 400 people that raised their hand to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in three weeks. Isn't that amazing? Hey Amen. Thank you, about 28 of you. How many of you know that's good news? 400 people made decisions for Jesus, right? So we're excited. During that three weeks, we asked you to turn in questions. And we had tons of different questions, lots of different topics. But what I decided to do was kind of take um, the the, the question that was around the same idea or theme and address that question. Today I want to talk to you. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, man, this is kind of weird, you know, they're taking a question and answering it as a sermon. Is that even biblical? Can I tell you that many of Jesus' sermons... We're in response to a question that someone asked right in the midst of the crowd. So we're just doing what Jesus did. How many think it's okay to do what Jesus did, right? (laughs) So I'm going to take Jesus' words and also some of the apostles and answer a question that was asked to Jesus because the same question asked to him was asked by many people in our church, and it's simply this. You ready? Today we're going to talk about, are we living in the last days? Are these the end times? Now, if you've asked yourself that question, I can understand why. All you've had to do is look at the news, and you'll understand this week up in Oregon, there was a shooting, right? And there was a a man who probably was mentally ill or who knows what was going on, but there was evil going on there. He went into a room, and and this is part of the story that you may not have heard on the national networks, but when he made people stand and pointed the gun at them, he said, if you're a Christian, you're going to go see your God. And when they answered they were a Christian, he shot them in the head. But if they answered that they were another religion, he shot him in the leg. Did you know, did you ever think that our own, in our own culture, in our own time, Christians would be martyred and cru- um, right here on American soil? So you look at things like that and you go, wow, God, is this the end times? Maybe you've seen all of the outbreaks of things like Ebola and other things. You're wondering, what is going on? And you've seen all the natural disasters. It seems like there's an earthquake every year that's massive and devastating, tsunamis and hurricanes. We know that according to Scripture that those types of things are going to increase like childbirth. Like the pains of childbirth, labor, they're going to get closer and closer together and they're going to become more devastating and greater. We're seeing those things. Maybe you've seen the decline of morality in our world, especially right here in America with um, you know things online and pornography and other things. We've just seen degradation. I don't know for you, but it feels like in the last two or three years that the morality of our country has plummeted compared to the last 20 years in such a fast pace, in such a fast way. So I think it's normal to ask yourself the question, are these the last times? I can understand you asking those questions. But what I want to do today is I want to use the Bible, I want to use Jesus' words to answer that question. Now, I want to show you a few statistics about the Bible that you may not know. First of all, one out of every 30 verses in the Bible address either the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, or the end times. Not only that, but in the scriptures, there are 216 chapters in the New Testament. But did you know that there are over 300 references in the New Testament to the same topic, the end times or the second coming of Christ? There are 27 books in the New Testament. 23 of the 27 books address this topic. So here's the thing we need to understand is that the Bible is not silent about this issue. In fact, the Bible is speaking loudly about it, and what I want to do is I want to grab that, and I want to kind of make it relevant. Here's really the question that we're asking. The question that we're asking is, what time is it? Right? A lot of us are, how much time do I have left? Am I right here, or am I right here? Where where am I? Okay? What time is it? And you know that question is a question that the disciples asked. But what's funny, as soon as I brought up the topic, you know, everybody was kind of happy and laughing. Some of you, I said, hey, let's get out our Bibles. We're going to, you know, hear a new topic today, and we're going to, you know, preach the word. And a lot of you kind of have this mentality. Of you're like, I'm ready. Bring it on, Pastor. You got your notes and your faces, and the eyes are smiling. And then I said, we're going to talk about the end times. And everybody went. All right, well, listen, I get it. I know you're a little nervous, Um kind of reminds me of a story about these two southern um, Cajun preachers, pastors. Do we have any Cajuns in the room? have any Cajuns? All right, we've got a Cajun over here. I had one in the last service, and, and red beans and rice. Come on, right? A little shrimp etouffee, and ooh, jambalaya, amen? Some, anybody hungry? Okay. <laughs> so I was reminded of this story. There's a couple... Uh, pastors who happened to have churches right across the street from each other. So Pastor Thibodeau, he uh, was in the front yard on a Saturday night pounding a sign into the yard, and on the sign it said, turn around before it's too late. Pastor Boudreaux on the other side of the street happened to be outside at the same time pounding a sign into his yard, and, and on that sign it said, the end is near. Well, just about that time, as they're doing that, a a car filled with a bunch of Cajun teenagers comes flying down the road, and the window rolls down, and you hear these teenagers kind of mocking and yelling. They say, you guys are
1: freaks, fanatics, y'all are crazy,
0: and they're yelling this, and they drive on past, and Pastor Boudreaux and Thibodeau look at each other kind of like, and just as they do, the car rounds the corner, and you hear a squealing of tires and a splash, and at that moment, um, Pastor Thibodeau and Boudreaux looked at each other and said, you think we should have just said, caution, bridges out? Do you um, think so? I... Come on, that's funny. That's, that's worth laughing at. Come on. Because you're not going to be laughing the rest of this message. So I just want you to know, uh, give you a little something to laugh about. Okay. I'm teasing. I don't want anyone to be scared today. We're going to talk about something that's very important, though, and very practical. And I believe it's going to help you. I Actually, in doing some study, I found a sermon by a pastor that was so good. I'm actually using a lot of the material out of that sermon because it's so great. We're using the word, though. I want to give you what Jesus responded to when his disciples asked himself the question, are we living in the last times? If you have a Bible or a phone, go with me to Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. Here's what the scripture says. "...the disciples came to him privately. Tell us," they said, "...when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age?" When will you return? Are we living in the last days? Now, whether you're here in this room or you're joining us, you know, it's exciting. We have people um, that are part of our church family um, on, a, you know, sometimes part-time, sometimes regular basis. We have people in Sweden that regularly tune in. They're on with us today. We have people in Latvia, Dallas, Arizona, Honolulu. Aloha. Can we welcome our online campus? Isn't that cool? <laughs> Fresno, Denver. When Jesus approaches this topic in, in the Bible, in Matthew 24... And his disciples are basically saying, you know, Lord, are we right here? Because how many know that if we're right here, a lot of us in our minds say, well, I, I can, there's a lot of things i got to do, you know, I, I've got a lot of stuff I want to accomplish, I don't know about you, but when I used to think about the rapture and the coming of Jesus when I was younger, I was like, Lord, please let us be right here because I want to get married. Anybody remember those days if you're single, right? And, uh, but if we're here, we act and we'll live a certain way. But if we're right here, how many know that we're going to think things a little differently? So Jesus answers the question, but here's what's interesting. He doesn't answer by telling us when he's going to return. Instead, he talks to us about what are the signs of the end of the age and what's our response to that. Now, here's the thing. If you're here today and you're wondering, or you're joining us online and you're wondering, Pastor Jared, are these the last days? Here's my answer to you. I don't know. But I'm pretty convinced that we are. And here's why. Over the last several years, in the 23 books that address this topic in the New Testament, there are a list of things that are supposed to happen to take place in order for things to be right so that Jesus can return. And for many years growing up, there were things that had happened, but there are a lot of things that hadn't happened. Now, I believe, as I look at that list, pretty much everything that has been listed as a requirement or is going to happen for the return of Christ, pretty much all of that has come. In fact, what's interesting, a caveat to that is every generation has thought that. So what's the difference with our generation thinking that? Well, here's the difference, because now things are in place that were never even thought of back in other generations. I'll give you an example of just one. I'm not going to get into these kinds of details and things today, but I want to give you a good example. One thing that only could position things for us to come to the end of time is the Bible talks about that. In the tribulation, and again, there are some different approaches to eschatology, which is the end time. Um, some are what are called amillennialists, some are called postmillennialists. We here, are, we believe in premillennialism, premillennialism, and so in that theology, there is a tribulation period of seven years when the Antichrist arrives on the scene. One of the things that the tribulation says is in the middle of the tribulation, that there is going to be a mark or a number that is placed on the hand and on the forehead. And you will not be able to buy or sell food or any kind of commodity, any kind of a thing, any kind of transaction. There won't be cash in those days. It'll be like having a swipe card on your hand, so to speak, a number. And that is how you'll have transactions. And they also say that you will not be able to run and hide. They will know where you are. Now, In the technology we have now in this culture, 100 years ago, even 20 years ago, that technology was not available, but now it is. In fact, you may not know this, but there is a chip now called the VRI chip. You can Google it. The VIR chip is part of the new healthcare um, initiative by Obama administration. And in this chip, it is placed on the human body, and it's a medical identification chip. And the purpose of it and sounds really good, it makes sense, is that every human that's in America will be put it will have the chip put in the only place on the body that will allow the chip to, to long, be long-term and last because of um, the change in body temperature. Guess where it happens to be: on the webbing or top of the hand and on just above the hairline of the forehead. Those are the two places of your body that will support the chip. Isn't that interesting? So in the, in the new legislation. Um, there is information there that says that um, every American will have to have the chip. Now, it's voluntary now. In fact, I had someone after the service come to me and said, I have a relative who is now a part of the system, and they told them that they needed to get this identification chip, and they said they didn't want it on their body, so they got an option. They have a card instead of the chip. But they told them that mandatory in three or four years, that every human will have to have one. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because now if you you get sick and you're running down the road and the ambulance shows up and they don't know what you're allergic to and what your name is, they'll have all that information available for you and they can scan it and they can know how to... So there's going to be this system. Let me just tell you, wherever you stand on that, whatever you believe, that technology that the Bible talks about that will be here, this mark, is here now. See, I told you some are going to go to this... And I've heard of, uh, of actually, there's been some litigation where people are fighting that, that they don't have to take it, and so far, um, that's held up in court. But how many know that, I don't know if you know this, but actually Joe Biden, and again, I'm not trying to take political sides or point to one person or another, um, all of what happens in the end time is part of God's plan, and, and so um, God's put positioning things, but I know that Joe Biden, our vice president, when our um, Supreme Court justice was going through confirmation hearings in the past, that Joe Biden's specifically asked him as the Supreme Court Justice if he would support the human chip being placed on the body of humans and being required or not. That question was asked to our Supreme Court already a few years ago. So the point I'm making, not trying to scare anybody, is that the conditions are now in place like never before. So it could very well be that in a few years that we really are not right here but could it be that based on scripture and what's been said that we really might be right here so the question is what do we do so what i want to do is i want to go now to the book of peter if you have your bibles your phones your ipads go with me to 2nd peter chapter 3 we're going to read through some verses about what the apostle peter is saying that kind of describe conditions in the last days y'all with me say amen Amen. y'all don't get too quiet today all right Because let me tell you something, this isn't bad news, this is good news. You know why it's good news? Jesus is coming again. Come on, somebody say amen to that. So here's what the scripture says. 2 Peter 3 says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, so it's describing the end time, in the last days, he says, there will be scoffers, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. I'm going to pause there for a second. So what this verse is saying is that when we get towards the last days, people are going to stand up and challenge. What do you mean the Bible is the way I should live? I can do whatever I want whenever I want, and if I... Want it? If I desire it, I can do it. Whatever feels good. I don't have to follow that kind of principle. There is no absolute truth. There is no absolute authority. I am the authority. I can do whatever I want. And they will scoff and just follow their own appetites to fulfill whatever they want, whatever they desire at any time. Scoffing God's word, scoffing the principle of Christ and his return. I don't know if you look around. Is that a sign in our time? Then it goes on to say, they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everyone goes on as if has been since the beginning of creation. In other words, they're going to say, you guys have been talking about the second return of Christ forever. He's never going to come. He's never come, and he never will. You don't even know what you're talking about, and they're going to try to convince you. They're going to to convince the culture that this is a bunch of of fables and stories, and there is no truth to the Bible, to to the word of God. Those are the signs of the end of the age. I think I see that more today than ever before. Let's go on. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 5 says, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So let me stop for a second. So as they scoff and say, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to fulfill my own desires. You can't tell me what's right and wrong. Then they're going to go on and say, oh, and by the way, the thing about the world being created that God chose a day and out of the water, he made the world. That, that's not true. Don't you get it? That's, that's It's a bunch of fables. It all started with a big bang, and there's evolution, and it was through evolution. That's how. And so they forget God, and they say, all of that's not even true. Then it goes on, and what does it say? It says, by these waters also came the world of that time that was deluged and destroyed. So they're going to discount creation, they're going to discount this idea that God, this is referring to Noah when he flooded the earth and he cleansed the earth so that, um, and he spared Noah and his children and the animals, Uh, he, uh, they're going to discredit that. Now we know scientifically the flood has been proven we, we know that, but they're going to discount God and his role in eternity and his role in the history of the world. There is no creation. There was no God to judge the world. And then they go on to say this. They said, by the same word, the present heavens and earths are preserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So just as God picked a day to create the world, and just as God picked a day to to cleanse and destroy the earth so that he could renew it and, and try to bring righteousness, and remember that now we have rainbows, and you know where the rainbow came from. It was God's covenant that he would never destroy or judge the world with water ever again. But what we know is that God said that one day he's going to purge or cleanse the earth and remake it, a new heaven and a new earth, and he's going to do that with fire. So, what's going to happen in the last days is people are going to scoff and say, That's a bunch of nonsense. You don't even know what you're talking about. You're deceived. You are old thinking, antiquated, uneducated. The last days. Y'all with me? Feeling good? Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. Then it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, it goes on, it says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. In other words, Peter says, listen, I know you're going to start thinking, God, are you coming back? We've been waiting forever. Grandma said you were coming. You didn't come. My parents said you were coming. You didn't come. And you're still not coming. Are you there? And so Peter kind of comes along and says, listen, understand that God's timing isn't your timing. So he works outside of your clock. He works outside of your timetable. To him, there is a a day which is like a thousand years. So don't get stressed. Don't think that he's not telling the truth. Remember, God works differently than you thought. Now, here's what's interesting. There are Jewish scholars that disagree with that concept. And their approach to it is this way. They believe in a seven-day earth. A lot of Jewish scholars, or some Jewish scholars, believe in a seven-day or, based on God, a thousand years, a 7,000-year earth. So here's how it works. You got 4,000 years from Adam until Jesus, right? And then you have 2,000 years since Jesus came, right? So that means we got 1,000 years left. Now, as soon as I said that, some of you were like, hallelujah! We got 1,000 years! Woohoo! But you forgot something. There's a thing called the millennium. And the millennium happens as Christ returns. For a thousand years, he rules and reigns before the judgment of fire and so on comes upon the earth. So let's get it right. So if we got 4,000 years for um, when the beginning of time until Jesus, and then 2,000 years from Jesus till now, and in the 1,000 year millennium, that means that it puts, if that's true, it puts us right about there. Don't you feel good? Woohoo! In other words, if that's true, we are at the very end of the end of the end of the end of the last days. I want to read a little bit more. Because he goes on to say in verse 9, he says, And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not waiting or wanting any one two perish but everyone to come to repentance so in other words he's waiting on purpose and he's slow to return on purpose because his heart is that everyone should be saved every person can find hope through Jesus Christ he loves the world so much that he's waited he's slowed down so that everybody has a chance it kind of reminds me if I it kind of went down like this in heaven God's sitting there on the throne Jesus is next to him and Jesus keeps going when am I going to go because, you know, Jesus doesn't know at the time of the day, when am I going to go? And God's kind of looking at the earth, and he's like, hold on, okay, uh, maybe now, go. And so Jesus, he's excited. He wants to come back. You know why? Because the Bible says that he's the bridegroom, and we're the bride. He's going to get married. So he's going to run, jump on his white horse. He's going to ride to the wedding. Woohoo! So he gets on the horse, and just, as about, just about the time he's ready to take off, God says, whoa, whoa, hold on. And Jesus is like, What? And then God says, wait, because there's a few more I think we can reach. I want to tell you, this passage is so beautiful and so powerful because here's what it tells us. We have a Father in heaven who loves us. And he loves the world, and his heart is that none, not one single person will perish. We have a choice, and he's giving an opportunity for us. Let's go on. You'll stay with me. Say amen. Amen. Uh, thank you. Second Peter chapter three, verse 10. He goes on to say, "But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything um, done in it will be laid bare. God is going to come and purge the earth with fire." So I know that sounds scary, but here's the good news. If you follow Jesus, you won't be here. And once He's done that, he's going to remake it. So if you think that golf course you go to looks good now, wait until Jesus has remade the earth. And when you play golf, you'll be birdie in every hole. Come on, somebody, in Jesus' name. So here's the thing. If that's the case, if that's what it looks like at the end time and we could be there, what should we be paying attention to? Peter tells us. I want to give you a few points. Write these down. This is big. Number one. People are going to be distracted with life. People are going to be distracted with life. What do we learn? That they're following their own appetites. They're like, I'm going to live it up. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to have fun. Life's short. YOLO. (laughs) YOLO isn't true. You live for eternity.
1: You see, this life
0: is just a blip on the screen. It's just a small little drop in the bucket. I want you to read what Jesus said, his own words. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 says this, And as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. The days of Noah, they were living life, doing their own thing. What does it say? For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and crashing weddings and giving in marriage. And up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming age, the coming of the Son of Man. So here's a question because here's the thing. Maybe this isn't the last days, but let me tell you something that is true for sure. These are your last days. We don't know how many more we have. Everybody has an appointed time to die. Maybe yours is 10, maybe yours is 20. These are your last days. So here's the question. It's how much of this world are you focused on and how much of heaven are you focused on? Have you been distracted by this world and by life? So now everything's about having a good time. It's about getting that car. It's about a great job. It's about, you know, if I can get that certain education. And listen, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the life that we have here on earth. Jesus came to give us abundant life here. But he came to give us eternal life forever. So this is just a drop in the bucket. And what happens is we get so distracted in the last times with this world that we forgot that there's a whole other reality, a whole other life that lasts Forever see, the culture is going to be distracted by this world. You all with me? Say amen. Amen. Here's a second kind of thing that we'll discover, and that is in the last days, people will forget God. People will forget God. They're going to go after their own appetites. They'll say, there's no God. Evolution made the world. It was just random accidents. I'll tell you what. If you've ever heard of what your brain can do, that's a pretty amazing accident. You ever thought about that? Mankind can't even create or keep up on a small level of what the brain does. And that was an accident. Wow. I'm just throwing that out there. Here's the thing. I've got good news and bad news. How many want to hear some good news? You ready for the good news? Here's the good news. Did you know that right now in this time that we live, that could be the end of the age, the last days. Here's the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ is growing and thriving and exploding all around the world like never before. In fact, did you know that in China right now today and every single day of the 1.3 billion people in China, every day 35,000 Chinese are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. Now there are 9.8% of the population would say, I am a follower of Jesus. You look around the world, and that's happening over and over again where God is moving mightily. But there's also some bad news. Can I give you the bad news? Okay, let's talk about America. Some missiologists say that um, America is declining. Some say that it's flatlined. Churches like this, where there's vibrancy and there's growth and people are being saved and that kind of thing, but there are many churches, most churches, haven't seen people saved in years. Their attendance is declining. But let me show you in the culture. Let's let me show you some t- statistics. Here we go. Let's look first of all at some generations. Let's look at the builder generation. The builder generation are those who were born from 1927 to 1945, and based on that, 65 percent of the builder generation would say, "I am a follower of Jesus and I live my life based on loving God and the principles of the Bible." Let me think that's awesome. <laughs> think about how many. Think about how many um, of your grandma and grandpas were the ones praying for you, believing for you, standing, right? But let's move on. Let's go to the next generation. The next generation is the Boomers. The Boomers were born from 1946 to 1964. And these are the people who are running our nation right now. They are senators. They are our judges. They are civil servants, police uh, police officers, those that are kind of in leadership positions. They're the ones that are running America. And of that population, 35% would say that they are followers of Jesus Christ. Some of you say, that didn't sound so bad, I guess. Let's keep going. The next generation is the buster generation. This is the one that I'm a part of, and that are those who were born from 1965 to 1983. That generation now, only 16% of the population would say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the next generation. The next generation are the Bridgers or the Millennials, and of that generation, of those born from 1984 to present, only 4% would say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I live my life based on biblical principle. If America is in the position it is today morally with 35% of the population running our government, what will it be like one day when only 4% of the population would say, I'm a follower of Jesus? That's why here at Higher Vision we made a priority to reach out to families, to children, and to young, young people. That's why we've invested in children's ministry. We're getting ready to build a facility right next door that is going to be state-of-the-art. It's going to be as good as anything you see it, like a Disneyland or a Magic Mountain or a Chuck E. Cheese. We're going to do it right because we want to win this generation. That's why we have youth ministry on Tuesday nights called The Venue. That's why we have the the culture, which is for young adults. That's why we have a school of leadership for students to be trained and equipped and sent out in ministry. That's why our weekend services are geared to use relevant technology. maybe you come and you're like, why
1: they got all that light? Why they got all those, that smoke and all those screens and everything? We don't need that. We just need the Bible.
0: And listen, if you don't like that, can you excuse me? We're trying to reach a generation for Jesus Christ here at Higher Vision. And, and if you don't like it, I get it. That's okay. But you already got it. You've already know Jesus. So just fake it. Go along. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Woo, what was that light that went by? Thank you, Jesus. You made the light. God created the light and said it is good, so the lights are good. And, um, and just, just go along with it. Why? Because we are committed to reaching this generation. And if we've got to use technology and Things that they relate to to reach them, then we'll do what we got to do. You know what? Because we've got to make a difference. We've got to see that number grow. We want to see hundreds and thousands and millions of people find Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Somebody say Amen. I know, I don't like the lights sometimes too. Sorry, sorry. Especially when I'm praying and they flash in my eye. When every time that happens, Instead of getting mad, why don't you go, God, I just claim this generation for Jesus? God help us, help us to win this generation for Jesus. I'm so excited about what God's doing in our youth. I'm excited what he's doing on Valencia High School campus and other campuses around the the city. We got a Bible study started by students right here in our church, and they had 40 kids two weeks ago on campus. Four kids gave their lives to Jesus Christ right at Valencia High School. Isn't that awesome? Why does all this happen? Well, Jesus said it this way, Matthew 24, 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. People will forget God. People will get distracted by life. Here's another thing. You ready? To write this down. The sign of the end times is people will not be ready. They won't be ready for his return. Matthew 24, Jesus' own words, verse 40 says, Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with the hand handmill, uh, hand one will be taken and the other will be left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. He's going to come when you're not paying attention. It's going to come when you don't realize the clock is about to strike. Now, I get it. A lot of us, it's fun to, you know, go and get online and read all the latest stuff about what's going to happen in the tribulation and who's the antichrist and what's going to happen. And we go to those, you know, ministries that that pull out the book of Revelations and they pull the charts out and they have all the charts and you write everything down and and you go buy gold and you buy water and you store it in the woods and and you you do all this kind of stuff. And I get it. It's all fun. It's cool. It's thinking about all that stuff. I get it. Let me say, write in pencil. know why Matthew 24 verse 36 says this is Jesus own words but about that day or hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor the son but only the father so you can chart it out you can look for the next blood moon you can do all that stuff but if God hasn't even told Jesus I'll never forget, you know, um, we were, my, when I was in high school, my youth pastor did a sermon called, this is true, what to do if you miss the rapture. <laughs> I think he was trying to scare us into heaven is what I think he was trying to do. And so I remember this was on a Tuesday night. He did use service. That was the message. And then the next day, I came home from school. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She worked at the church for free and was there all the time. And many times, almost every afternoon, I'd walk into the house and I would hear music playing and she would be praying. Well, I come walking into the house. The day after, I heard a message on what to do if you miss the rapture. I walk in, the lights are on, the music's on, and mom's not there. And I'm like, what is going on?
1: The raptures happened. I was left behind.
0: So I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to go to the church. Well, the church was next door. Of course, my dad had an office over there. There were people that were working there. Probably mom was there. So I run down the street, go into the church. The lights are on. No one's there. Now I am totally freaking out. I'm literally practicing jumping. It's like, maybe, maybe God will catch me on this one. You know, catch me away. You know, I, I, I'm like, what What in the world? So then I think, well, wait a minute. You know, I, I can figure this out. I'm going to get the prayer chain list. Now, this was back in the day when we didn't have social media and cell phones and, you know, emails and forwarding messages and all that. It was just a phone with a long cord and a round thing that went chick, 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 chick. Anybody remember those days? And then you had a name with a phone number, and you called that person, and then they called the next person. So I got on the the, the prayer chain list, and I called the first number, and the phone rang, and nobody picked up. (laughs) Man, I am freaking out. I start singing. Some of you are going to remember this song. Two men walking up a hill, one disappeared and one left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. Anybody remember that song? That was the scariest song I've ever heard. I go through the list, three names, and nobody picks up the phone. Finally, I get to the fourth name, and it's Sister Lorraine. She was about 80 years old, prayer warrior. I I call the number, she picks up, and I start dancing and praising Jesus. And I tell her, Sister Lorraine, if you're not gone, then the rapture hasn't happened. Hallelujah. I'm all good. See, we all get worried about what time is it, but maybe the question isn't that. Maybe it's, you don't really need to know what time it is, you need to know what to do with the time that you have. It's not about how much time we have left, it's what am I doing with the time that I've been given. I love in Chronicles chapter 12, it says that the men of Issachar, they understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. Oh, that God would make this a church of people who understand the times and we know what to do to have an impact in our city and our nation. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. So, what do we do with the time we have? Can I give you a few things real fast? Write these down. Number one, the first thing we need to do with the time we have, and I'm going to take this right from the Bible. I'm going to take it right from 1 Peter. That's what we've been doing so far. First Peter 4.7, here's the, the first thing. What, what do we need to do with the time we have left? We need to think clearly. Think clearly. What does that mean? What do you mean by that, Pastor Jared? Well, what what 1 Peter 4, 7 says, the end of all things is what? The end of all things is what? Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. If you are drunk, you can't drive a car. And the reason you can't drive a car is because your thinking has been impaired. Impaired. So you can't make wise decisions, you don't have fast reflexes, so you need a sober mind so that you can make the decisions you need to make, and as you pray, I believe the more sober or clear-minded you'll become, and you'll begin to look at this world, and instead of being focused on, you know, well, gosh, this world is so fun, and there's so much to do, and, and you know, I got to get that next promotion so that I can get that car, and suddenly you start thinking about this life and everything involved in this life, and then you start thinking, well, gosh, I want to be as long as possible, and if I'm going to be as long possible, as possible I'm gonna look good so then you have a few tucks and a few pulls and a few pinches and and you have all kinds of stuff that you do and you're investing in this world and you're investing your time and you're sitting down and watching every sports event that's ever happened in the last 12,000 years and and you're you're living your life for now because you're not clearly thinking that life is more than this reality there's another reality that's even more real than this reality show we're living in right now In fact, can I show you what what, what Paul said in Philippians? He said in Philippians 3.18, he says, For I have told you often before, I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct show that they are really enemies of the cross, of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. Does that not sound like we just read a little bit ago? Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives forever, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Here's the point. You are not a citizen of the United States. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and you have a king. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord and Savior, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. But if you're not clear-minded because you don't know what time it is, you're going to get so caught up in this life that you're going to live life about earth instead of realizing that you're supposed to live life for eternity. It's going to affect everything you do. It'll affect your finances. You'll invest all of your, your money in your future here on earth instead of the Bible says laying up treasure in heaven, giving to God's kingdom and his purposes. You'll use all your time to enjoy all your things that you love, to enjoy this life, but you won't give anything to the kingdom. You'll get caught up in shameful things. It's amazing to me how now sin is bragged about. People brag about it. There are shows that are built around sin, and to, for us to get to watch it. And we enjoy it. Could it be that we're not thinking clearly? And the reason is because we're like, well, one day, I'm
1: going to get serious about my relationship with Jesus. He's awesome.
0: Why am I talking like this? I don't know. I don't know. Just thought about that. It's kind of weird. We need to think clearly. You know the other thing? Here's the second thing we need to do. We need to focus on relationships. Some are like, what? What does that have to do with the end time? Well, let's read what Peter said. 1 Peter 4, 8. Most important of all. Now, he just said, think clearly. And then he said, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for the love covers a multitude of sins. Some of you are thinking, what does the people thing have to do with the end times? Why do we have to focus on people? What's the big deal? Here's why. Because someday, all of this is going to burn. The only thing in this room that will still be here is people. The only true treasure in life is people. So if we're living for us, but we're not living for others... If we're not caring, if we're not building relationships, then all we're thinking about is here and now. That's why here at Howard Vision, we encourage you to get involved in a small group or a a ministry that happens during the week. Get involved serving and using your gifts. Why? Because you get to invest in people. You get to build relationships. You get to invest in the thing that's going to last forever. Or are you spending all your time building a future with resources and money and things, and that new dress is going to burn. There's new clubs. You feel like burning them now, but they're going to burn. <laughs> Why? Because the only real treasure are people. People in the last days that understand the time, they not only think clearly, they focus on relationship. Here's the last thing. We need to make a difference. We need to make a difference. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Do you realize what that says? That verse tells us that you and I are God's vehicle to give grace. You're administering God's grace on this earth. How? By using your gifts. We have someone back there on the camera. They have a gift with technology, mechanics. So instead of living for themselves, they've said, I'm going to use what I've been given, and now they're holding that camera, it's pointed at me, and we have people in Japan, and Honolulu, and Arizona, and Sweden, and Kansas City, and Omaha, and Billings, Missouri, and Fresno, and Latvia. We have people all over the world that are now hearing about the love of Jesus because they've decided that they're going to care about others and make a difference. And what's making a difference? It's using what you've been given to administer God's grace to the only thing that matters people. That was better preaching than your amening. I just want you to know. It was. I think it was. I mean, if I get a vote, I think it was. It was. Let, me, let me show you something. Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you're kind of going, man, this is kind of scary. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, man, this is kind of heavy. And Man, I wish I would lived back in the day when you didn't have to worry about all this. Can I tell you, we are living in the greatest generation in the history of mankind. Yes. In fact, can I tell you something? This is cool. Did you know that the Bible tells us in Acts? I hadn't planned to preach on this, but I'm going to throw this in. Okay, this is free. She's so like, "What does he mean? Do we have to pay to get in? How to get?" No, I'm just a figure of speech. I'm just, I'm just playing. Did you know the Bible says in Acts that every human, God has predetermined when in history you would live and where on earth you would live. And you know that God chose you and formed you in your mother's womb before you were even there. He designed you, made you beautifully and fearfully made, wonderfully made. So in other words, God chose you to be in this generation so that you could be the ones to administer his grace for the ones he's been waiting for. Man, I felt the Holy Spirit on that. In other words, we're here for a reason. Can I show you a chart real quick? I want the worship team to get ready. Let me show you this last chart. On this chart, you'll see the population of the world this is from the U.S. Uh, Census Bureau, and there are two different censuses that they have to kind of to figure that out. They don't exactly agree, but they're both there, so you can see both. So going back 2,000 years, we can see that the, the population has kind of stayed the way it is. It hasn't really changed much. Until uh, about 20 or 50 years ago, suddenly you can see things begin to skyrocket, Right? So we get close to 2000, skyrocket. You can see up is the number of billions of people. This way is the thousands of years. So we're up now to whatever, 8 billion or 7.5, 8 billion. They're saying within the next 20 years, it'll be 8, 9 billion. Maybe you're asking, why has it escalated so fast in such a short amount of time? Well, one of the reasons is medicine. We now can... Get people healthy and they don't die early and young like they used to. So, because of that, multiplied times of billions around the world, it's caused people to live longer. We're seeing greater. And so the, the population has exploded. But here's the cool news the cool news is did you know that in the last 12 years, listen to this, in the last 12 years, there have been more people saved turn their life over to Jesus in the last 12 years than in the previous 2,000 before it. We're living in the greatest generation ever. In fact, even if you look at the Muslim faith, Islam, around 700 BC, it began, and during that 700 to the year 2000, during those 1300 years, there was almost zero movement towards Jesus. But did you know that in the last 12 years, in the nine brackets or arms of Islam, in the last 12 years, that we have now seen every year over 7 million Muslims find Jesus Christ every year for the last 12 years. You even look right here in this city. Higher Vision Church wasn't here 12 years ago, but 10 and a half years ago, this thing started. And now, what have we seen? 35,000 people have raised their hand to receive Jesus Christ or rededicate their life. We're living in the greatest decade, in the greatest season, in the greatest generation that has ever lived. God has chosen you to be right here for a reason and if that shouldn't excite you or light your fire i don't know what will see it's not a scary thing that we could be in the last days it's an exciting thing i love what it says in second peter Peter's talking about the end times in this second book, second epistle, and here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the... What's that word? Grow in the what? grace and Savior of our Lord Jesus Christ did you know the Bible says that you didn't choose him he chose you that you should bear fruit and that fruit should remain here's the cool thing when you bring someone to Jesus you're not just changing their life for a a six month period of time or for a year or even for ten years you are causing fruit to remain for eternity when you and I recognize that we are where we are for a reason maybe you're not here to have the four bedroom instead of the three bedroom maybe you're not here to drive the infinity instead of the Taurus maybe that you're here because God has chosen you to administer his grace He's waited. Think about it. He's been waiting for you and me to step up and administer his love so that he can finally say, okay, Jesus, go get on your horse. Go get on your horse. The bride is ready. I want to say one last thing. Here's what the scripture says. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but it says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And It goes on to say, for his spirit will not always strive with men. In other words, there'll come a day where you don't have a chance. You don't have an opportunity. But we have a choice. We have an opportunity today. I think that's why Joshua said, today is the day that we will serve.